Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. When I was a kid, I'm going to tell you a quick story. When I was a kid, I would have these, we'd have these videotapes, these VHS tapes. Do you guys remember VHSs? Yeah, you used to rewind them or you get charged like $10,000 from... Uh, from Blockbuster, yeah, you have to rewind, like, be kind, rewind, you remember, we all remember that, so we have these VHS tapes, you watch movies on them, they're, they're like this big, and you go to the store, and you buy them, and, and when I was a kid, we had a few of these, I remember we had Dumbo, <clears throat> we had a lot, but, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a lot of these VHS tapes, but the ones that I watched all the time were Dumbo and Peter Pan, as a little kid. I don't know why Dumbo, now you look back on it, it's kind of scary, right? And, and Peter Pan was my favorite, right? Because who doesn't want to be a lost boy? Who doesn't want to, like, go fight Captain Hook? Who doesn't want to be a kid forever and, and you know, a, obviously outmaneuver Captain Hook and do all kinds of awesome things like Peter Pan and fly? Who doesn't want to fly? That's awesome. And so as a kid, I, I loved this movie. And then um, Jake and I flipped it on the other day, and, and we started watching Peter Pan, because I was like, I, I want to rewatch this, because I'm, I'm doing this message, and it came to mind, and so I'm like, I want to rewatch this. And as I rewatched it, I was like, this is the dystopian future. This is terrible. I can't believe I thought this movie was good. And some of you, just so you know, I'm going to ruin Peter Pan for you, and you're like, some of you are like, no, I'm a big Peter Pan fan. So like, if you're a huge fan, then just Put your fingers in your ears for a second, because I'm going to ruin it. I started looking up some of the symbolism of Peter Pan, because I started getting curious about all this. And I started wondering. And, and, and Pan, of course, uh, some of you know the phrase pantheism. It means the worship of everything. And the god Pan in the ancient world is a god of uh, the chaos or a god of the wild people, which is interesting, because Peter Pan is sort of like the god of the lost boys. If you don't know the movie, Peter Pan is this boy who refuses to grow up. He just won't pass that threshold into growing up. And so Peter Pan is sort of like the god of all things, pantheism. And in this instance, uh, Peter Pan is sort of a god who looks out for the lost boys. Now, he's not god, obviously, but he's kind of like a god to the lost boys. He flies, he leads them, and all that. And he goes to Neverland, and in Neverland is this eternal world of child imagination, and time stands still in Neverland. There's no responsibility here, and you're always able to kind of live in the moment of Neverland. And then there's flying, which symbolizes the escapism of childhood. And I know some of you are thinking, this sounds, sounds fine. What's wrong with this? Okay, it's the escapism of childhood. You, you can elude adulthood responsibilities by just flying over it all. And then there's the Lost Boys. These are the, the other boys, and the, the Peter Pan is leading. And the Lost Boys are children who, like Peter Pan, refuse to grow up. They're never going to grow up. And the biggest, when you watch Peter Pan now, the biggest threat to Pan is growing up. That's the biggest threat to him. And you see it, and people are growing up, and he's like, ew. Wendy's going to leave the nursery? Yuck. They're not going to read these childish books anymore? Ew. This is terrible. That's Peter Pan. There's Captain Hook, which symbolizes adulthood and authority. 
It symbolizes all the things that Peter Pan doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to get to that area, so he doesn't want to become hooked. There are the strict rules that are associated with adulthood. And then there's this crocodile, right? Always chasing Hook, and he's got a piece of Hook in him. He's got his hand, right? That's why Captain Hook's so cool. He's got a hook for a hand, but his hand is in the belly of this crocodile. And does anyone remember what the crocodile has in it? A clock! Time's always coming for you if you're an adult. It's always coming for you. Coming to eat you. Coming to get you. And, and that's what the crocodile represents. It's the dragon of chaos in the midst of it that's always coming for you as an adult. And that's why you ought to stay young forever. That's what Peter Pan's dream is. That's his goal. Wendy's, the, the great problem of the movie is growing up. Wendy's going to move out of the nursery. This is a huge problem. Let's take her to Neverland. Try and make her a kid forever. And of course, all through the movie, the kids outsmart and outwit Captain Hook, which is amazing because kids can do that. And it all has to deal with this whole idea of coming of age. If you never grow up, then you'll never have adult problems. If you never grow up, you'll never have to deal with the problems of adulthood, the paying the bills, the doing the laundry, the getting a job, all that stuff, right? And at first, it's childhood fantasy, and it's a lot of fun. Like, I had fun watching it. I still have fun watching it, of course. And I, I get that. There's real fears with kids about growing up and having to do the things that adults do. And, and here's the, the, the challenge with it, though. If you're like 15, 16 years old getting your first job or something like I don't even know if kids do that anymore these days, right? It's more like 25, getting your first job. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know, but if you're like, 15, 16 years old, getting your first job. That's, I got my first job when I was 15. And you're immature. That's okay. That's to be expected of a 15 or 16-year-old. You mold them and shape them to maturity. But you're like constantly late. You're constantly doing the wrong thing. You're constantly skirting responsibility. It's like that's, you know, 15, 16. Okay, we're going to shape and mold this person. But if you're doing the same thing when you're 30, it's tragic. If you're doing the same thing when you're 35, it's completely, it, it, it's a lot. You're lost. You're a lost boy at 35. It's tragic to not grow up. Growing up is so important. It's so important to put the childish ways behind you, even though they're amazing, your childhood years, but to grow into maturity on all the ways that God wants you to grow into maturity. There's this one viral video online, and I wanted to show it to you, but I can't because there's too much uh, foul language in it. I know. And what it is, and you, maybe you've seen this because it's been around a while, it's this, this dad <coughs> takes his kids, his adult son's video games, and he throws them on the lawn. And on the whiteboard in his room, it says, grow up and get a job. No more games. And goes and the, the camera pans out and it's the son yelling and cussing at his father and his father's in his riding mower. And he says, get out of my house and go get a job. Otherwise, I'm going to mow these down. And they go, no, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to game forever. I'm going to do this forever, blah, 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 blah. And the dad just absolutely mows over these games. And he says, go get a job. Turns out, I found out later that video was a fake. They just made it for views. It wasn't real. I know. What a great concept for a video. But it illustrates the very real thing 
that as an adult, if, you, if you're in your 30s and just gaming all the time, guys, listen, if you could game for, I don't care, you game for a couple hours. If that dominates your life and you can't get a job and it dominates you and you, you can't manage your family, like men specifically with video games. I know this because when I was a youth pastor, we had video games and I took it home for practice so that I could beat the kids. And my, my wife knows something that I was up till like three in the morning, like, no, I gotta get better. I was just playing video games. I was being immature. If you if if you're just up at all hours of the night playing video games, or whatever, it's it's just immature. It's like time to grow up. Okay? Go go take them. And it's fine if you have video games, it's fine if you play them, but if it dominates your life, that's a completely different if it stops you from adulthood, that is a completely different thing. But what happens in our lives is sometimes we allow these immaturities to continue on and they stunt our growth and they stunt our walk with God. And this is what Paul is dealing with with the church. A church that wants to sort of remain in Neverland, never grow up. A church that has its immaturity scattered all over the lawn. And Paul is like, I see it. It's there on the lawn. I see it. We're going to talk about it, church. It's time to grow up. And everybody hates that message. But it's so true. That is so, so often it's time to lay our mature, immaturity down. It's time to look at it scattered all over the lawn. And if you don't know where you're immature, guys, ask your wife. Uh, women, if you don't know where you're immature, ask your husband. And they'll tell you. And I, you know, ask your spouse if you don't know. But it's time to grow up. So I want to look at 1 Corinthians 3. If you've got a Bible with you, just go ahead and flip it open. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians where we're looking at the entire letter. And as you remember from the last couple of weeks, we had Pastor Kylie here last week, Kylie Score, talking about 1 Corinthians 2 and the foolishness of the cross. Um, what Paul is doing here, the author Paul, he's a Christian convert himself. He used to be a, a Jewish guy, but his life has changed and now he's following Jesus. He was persecuting the church. Now he's following Jesus. And now he's planting churches and helping them to grow in following Jesus. And so oftentimes what I'll do is I'll take this section by section. But right now, I'm going to read for you all of chapter 3. It's just the entire thing. So it's a bit of text. So just bear with me here. Flip to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's get to it. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, you, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given to me, I've laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building upon it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, 
which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring light to it, and it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That God and God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This is Paul's letter to the church about their maturity level. He calls for it right at the beginning. He's kind of saying like you're like a church who plays video games all night. When he says that you're a church, I gave you milk. And we have to remember like right now, when you want milk, you go to the grocery store and you buy milk. This is very different in the first century. Paul is literally talking about infants and milk. He's talking about breastfeeding. He's saying, church, you were like a breastfed young baby when I came and planted you, but you haven't moved from there. It's tragic, right? When you have a baby that's five years old, still breastfeeding. It's a funny picture. It's, Paul is saying, it's time to grow up. You're still acting like people of this world. You're still on this milk, and you need to grow up, church, and it's a choice that you make to grow up and to put these things behind you. The reason why Jesus calls us to be born again is because we have to put the world behind us and focus on the cross because we're called to the things of God. It's about putting things behind you. Some translators translate the text of 1 Corinthians 3 and say, you are a people who live by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And this is what Paul says right in the very beginning of, of chapter 3. He's like, I cannot address you as people who are of the Spirit. In other words, where the Spirit dwells in you. I have to address you as people who still are, are desiring this world. And this is the way Paul's talking to him. He's like, you still desire all the things of the flesh. And you don't desire the things of the Spirit. So the very first sign that Paul gives the church that they're not mature and they're holding on to worldly values, and this is in your notes, this is the first fill-in, and it is, the way I wrote it is this, in order to grow to maturity, I need to value life with God over worldly values. And this is what Paul is saying. The whole discussion of life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Life in the flesh is about desiring God's way of life more than your own, more than your own way of life. And life in the flesh is about desiring your own selfish desires and what you want and your preferences and your needs over anything else, including what God has for you. 
And what, this is what Paul's saying is, you are constantly going after your own desires. Obviously, this makes you immature. This does not make you a strong follower of God. It, life is still about you. You have not died to yourself. You, you've not died and been born again yet. That You need to die to yourself in order to make life about life with God and about life with the Spirit. <clears throat> See, this church valued what was going on in the world more than what was going on in the church, more than what was going on in the Scripture. Oftentimes, what do, we, what do we think is important? Sometimes we hold on to positions so tightly, whether they're ideas or political ideas or whatever it might be, and, and we have to ask the question, is this honoring to God or honoring to humans? Like, what is this honoring towards? Are we living life in the Spirit or life in the flesh? We need to, when you come to Christ, everything needs to be reevaluated in light of the Scriptures. So even your political ideas, oh, pastor, now you're meddling. Now you're meddling, right? Our political ideas need to be reevaluated. And guess what? Both parties have non-Christian values. I know, I mean, it's okay to have one of your pet parties and stuff like that and to belong to a political, that's fine. But both of them have some non-Christian values mixed in. And both of them need to be reevaluated in light of the Scriptures, Oh, there's more than two political parties, but there's basically two political parties. Okay. Following Jesus doesn't fit perfectly into either, and we need to know that. We need to say that. We just need to own it and say, well, that's wrong. I know that my political party believes that, but that part is wrong, and this is what the Bible says. But oftentimes, we don't do that because we've taken our political theology, our political, and made it a political theology and overlaid it on top of Scripture. And we've got to be careful about that. We have to reevaluate our sexual ethics because God has a very specific design for sex and marriage between a man and a woman, and he calls men and women to get married and then have sex in that order. And it's God's wisdom and design for marriage. We have to reevaluate our ideas for that. We have to reevaluate what we believe ethically when we come to Christ. The world has a different set of values. This is what Paul's talking about versus the Scripture. We have to reevaluate how you feel about people that you disagree with. Sometimes you disagree with people and you think, oh, they're my enemies, but Jesus says, love your enemies. So should you even have enemies? No. We have to reevaluate everything in the light of the gospel, and this church had not done that. So they are not growing to maturity because they're not reevaluating everything. If you're here today and you have not reevaluated everything in light of the Scripture, here's what I would say. Take a pause on having opinions for a minute and go read the Bible. And as you read the Bible, at least go read the Sermon on the Mount. At least go read the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. As you read the Bible, then begin to formulate new opinions because what we have to do is take our cues from Scripture, not from this world. And this is what Paul is talking about with the immaturity of the church that you're taking your cues from all these human ideas and not the Scriptures and not life with the Spirit. So I can't call you spiritual. I've got to call you worldly. This is what Paul is saying to the church. That's got to sting. In order to do that, though, and I've got a huge ask of you, and I want, I normally as a pastor, I'm, I'm not like a turn to your friends and say this thing type pastor. I think that's awkward. I've never done that. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that. But I'm going to ask you to repeat three words, and these, these three words will change your life. 
And we have to practice them because it hurts to say them. So we're going to say them together. One, it's got to be on the screen. One, can we get it on the screen? Two, nope, that's not it. Those are three words. Oh, I'll tell you the three words. The three words are, I was wrong. Uh, yeah, I heard Quincy go, oh. I, all right, it's on the screen now. We're going to say it together. Ready to begin. I was wrong. I know, Wow. Some of you, it's like, oh, it's like you just stuck a dagger in me. In our world today, nobody says this anymore. We have to be right. We live in a world where it's like, you have an opinion, even if you're wrong, it's like, you better defend it. You better defend it. You, you got to be right. Being right is a new currency. You have to be right. Well, in the church, in the scriptures, Jesus says, repent. You've got to do this. You've got to admit that you were wrong. And we've got to, the, the first step into maturity is saying, wow, I was like Peter Pan of the Lost Boys, just playing through life on Neverland. That was wrong. I need to grow up. I need to be mature. I got to take care of my family. I got to pay my bills. I got to do this. I got to do that. I was wrong. This is a step in maturity to say, oh man, I used to believe this. I was wrong. Oh man, I used to think this way, and then I read scripture, and, and now my thoughts have come in line with scripture, and I was wrong. It hurts to say these three words. Some of you said it this morning because I baited you into saying it, and you were like, that's the first time I've ever said that. <laughs> Your wife's over there recording you on, the, on her phone. She's like, see, it happened. This is why Paul is saying you're a bunch of infants because you're refusing to admit where you're wrong. So Paul uses this example of breastfeeding. Babies don't say I'm wrong or I'm sorry. When they start talking, they need to be trained. Like parents, you know this. You say to your kids when they do something wrong, you have to go to them and be like, okay, now you have to say I'm sorry. And then they walk over and say, I'm sorry. And then everything's okay. But you got to keep doing that until they do it on their own. Right? That's like raising a kid. You have to keep telling them, all right, go say I'm sorry. Make relationships right. You got to keep doing that. And then one day they'll do it on their own. And then finally you're like, whew. And then they'll leave trash all over your car. And then you got to make them pick it up until they do it. Until, you know, and it's like a whole other layer of like getting rid of the immaturity of your kids. Like you just got to do it until they become mature and do it on their own. And what Paul is saying is you're a church full of division still. And here's what's interesting about the first Corinthian church. In the next couple of chapters that we're going to look at, Paul is dealing with some scandalous stuff that's happening in the church. And he doesn't point to that. Their loose sexual ethics, their um, food sacrifice to idols, leaving the poor out of some of their worship gatherings. Like, come on, that's insane. He doesn't point to any of that stuff as their lack of maturity. He points to their lack of unity as a lack of maturity. Because the lack of unity reveals that the whole church's foundation is not built on Jesus, but on selfish values. And when you have the foundations right, then everything is right. And this is what Paul is saying. We've got to get the foundations right so that everything is right. Quick plug, quick commercial. Um, in the next couple of months, Pastor Bethany, Pastor Ruth, and I, I've been editing some curriculum called Foundations. And we want 
to invite the whole church to go through it. We think it's going to be incredible. Uh, we've already started going through it ourselves. It's a new discipleship track uh, for us. And some of the discipleship tracks we're doing, those are still ongoing. We're going to still do them even after foundations. Those are still going to be going. So the things that some other life groups do, they're going to keep going. This is just sort of those beginning foundation pieces that are good for if you've been a Christian for 100 years or a Christian, like brand new Christian. And so we hope to pilot some of those groups starting in the wintertime because we're still working through editing this curriculum to make it happen. So anyways, your foundations matter. And this is what Paul is saying. What's happening in your life, your lack of unity, um, actually, let's go ahead and put the next one up. Divisions and fights reveal our lack of maturity. They do. Divisions and fights reveal our lack of maturity because they reveal what our foundation is set up on. Because when you have to fight something, when you have to get your own way, when you have to be right, when you have to win, it reveals that you're the most important. And this is what the church was dealing with. A bunch of people who believed that they were the most important, not a group of people who were submitted and surrendered to the spirit that was in their midst. That's the spirit of God. And they weren't surrendered to that. I want it my way. I refuse to listen to you. Divisions ultimately expose our own selfishness and reveal that our lives are, are centered on our needs and our, our wants and what we need and want. And we refuse to lay that down for the sake of the cross. That's what divisions reveal. And this is what Paul's saying. Do you know our social media world is actually designed to divide you more? In our world, polarization is getting worse and worse. And here's what I mean about our social media world is actually designed to divide you more. I, I think it's probably unintentional, or maybe it's super intentional and like a conspiracy theory. I don't know. But if you go online and you watch five videos and you like three of those videos, and three of those videos tend to lean one way politically, then the algorithm will go, oh, this person's conservative or this person's liberal. We'll show them more of those videos. And then all of a sudden, it gets you deeper and deeper and deeper into your own echo chamber where you're hearing your own thoughts regurgitated back to you. And it takes you from maybe you were kind of centrist in some views or whatever, but it takes you further down a line ideologically. So that you're going further this way and somebody else is going further that way because the algorithm is saying, show them more videos like this. And all of a sudden, you've probably noticed in, like you're scrolling through and you're realizing, oh, wow, it's taking me further down this perspective. Well, what does that further do? That further divides, not unites. And so we as a world just need to know this. Because this is why Thanksgiving dinner blows up sometimes, right? This is... This is why Christmas dinner, like, somebody says, oh, well, that Trump, and there's, oh, yeah, have you seen what Biden did? It just blows up. There's these divisions, right? Divisions reveal our need to win. Divisions reveal our own selfish nature. Divisions and fights reveal that we're bad at reconciliation. We're bad at saying things like, I was wrong. We're bad at taking our video games, throwing them on the lawn, and driving over it with the lawnmower. We're bad at that because we want them. We want our immaturities. It's safe to us. It feels good. What Paul's doing here is he's citing the root cause of their lack of maturity, their division, the fact they're not united. So then, as we move to verses 6 through 15, 
If you've got 1 Corinthians uh, 3 in front of you, just take a look at verses 6 through 15. I'm not going to read them all right now. Paul begins mixing metaphors. And my life group talked about this. He, he just uses these like grab bag of metaphors. He's like, I planted this field, right? I'm the, I planted the seed, you're the seed. I planted it, uh, Paul has made it grow. And then foundations, we're talking about a foundation. I built a, an expert builder. And I'm like, wait a second, I thought you were using a gardening metaphor. Now you're using, uh, I almost said archaeology. <laughs> um, construction metaphor, thank you. Now you're using a construction metaphor. And so Paul's mixing these metaphors. And then he talks about the refiner's fire, and so it's like, whoa, now you're grabbing from the Old Testament and bringing it in the New Testament. But what Paul is talking about is your spiritual life is like growing up. It's like when you have a garden and you plant a seed and it grows up. You need somebody to water it, and then eventually there's fruit. It doesn't come day one. And your life is like of this construction metaphor where you're building a house and, and you get the foundation built and then you're like, oh, the foundation's done. And then nine months later, finally, the house comes up, right? It, it, it takes time. It's a process to grow into mature. And what Paul is saying is you're either going to build your life up with the good stuff of Jesus or on your own selfish principles. Which one's it going to be? You're either going to build your, your, your house up, and he uses this metaphor with like gold and rubies and all these things, or you're going to use hay and wood to build your house. And back then, this was the idea that when you built a temple, you used these very costly ornamental things like rubies and gold and all kinds of things. But when you built your, your own house, your own dwelling, you just used wood and hay and mud. That's what you did. But a fire is coming, he says. A judgment is coming. And this is the judgment of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 through 15 says, If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer a loss, yet will be saved, even though as one only escaping through the flames. There's no doubt that many of us, at the end of the day, are going to see the work that we've done get burned up because it's meaningless. Ouch. It's like I just had some hard truths to deliver to you guys today. Our, our speaker at camp would say, my name's Mike and I'm your friend. Um, and then he would say something hard. I, maybe I should steal that. My name's Dave and I'm your friend. Much of what you're building reveals a lack of maturity. Much of what you build shows immaturity and will be burned up one day. Ouch. I've got to look at my life and say, what am I investing in that won't last? And this is what Paul's saying. What are you investing in that's going to last? What are you investing in that just won't last? And, and, and here's the, the next fill in the blank. Mature people intentionally will build lives or build lives that will last. This is what mature people do. They say, I want to build a life that lasts. Well, what does it mean to build something that lasts? Because this is what Paul's talking about. The garden, the house, whatever it is, building something that lasts. You know, I thought about this all week. I racked my brain on it and thought, what really lasts at the end of the day? And the only thing, I mean, obviously, legacies of faith, obviously, you know, like structures last, I guess. I mean, until something happens. But ultimately, the only thing that lasts are people. People are eternal. Do you know that? That you're an eternal creature created in God's goodness and likeness. 
that God created you to exist beyond your death into heaven or maybe not, maybe hell. I mean, he didn't create you for hell, by the way. No, he didn't create anybody for hell. He didn't want anybody to go there. But some people choose it. God created you as an eternal being, and there's an eternal significance in people. See, in the Christian worldview, we believe that people last forever. And if you make the choice to surrender yourself to Jesus, then you'll live with God in heaven. If you build your house on Jesus, your foundation is built on Jesus, then you'll live with God forever. That is an investment that lasts. And if you choose not to do that, then we call that eternal separation or hell. Because you'll be eternally separated from God. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating that one of my favorite uh, theologian philosopher, Dallas Willard, uh, one time was asked, who goes to heaven? And his response was, all who could possibly stand it. Anybody who's built their life, built the foundation, built their life on Jesus, watched it grow, and have invested in that their entire life. Meaning all those who are spirit-filled now, meaning all those who want to live their life with Jesus now. So if you're here and you're concerned about building a life that will last, a life that has eternal significance, what about taking people to heaven with you? What about building a new life in other people? What about sharing the good news of Jesus with others, with your family, with your friends? What about being concerned about their salvation instead of your reputation? What about being concerned with with their um, life after death instead of your wealth here and now? What about being concerned about their eternal life rather than your life right now? Building something that lasts. This is what Paul's saying. Build something that lasts. Build this legacy of faith in your family now so that your kids will continually go after it, and your grandkids and their grandkids, so that they point back to you and, and say, you know, my, my family before my grandfather was a hot mess, but my grandfather and my grandmother, they decided to follow Jesus, and then everybody behind them decided to follow Jesus. Your life can have a huge legacy when you build your life on Jesus now. And then... Paul comes in with kind of the crescendo verse in all of this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, he says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So in the Greek, the word you here is plural. And so you kind of have to think, it's best to read this in terms of like the old Italian gangster movies, in my opinion. I'll read it for you. Don't yous know that yous are like God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? All yous together are God's temple. I know it sounds, you gotta, you gotta like read it like a real authentic gangster, right? What Paul is saying is, look, in the former days, God's spirit dwelt in Sinai on this mountain, and then it moved into this tabernacle, and then it moved into this temple, and then it was with some people, like the high priesthood and stuff, it was kind of like with some people, it was in the Holy of Holies, and then it was with Jesus, you see it descended on Jesus in the baptism, but now at Pentecost, it's on the church. God's spirit, you collectively are now God's temple. And this is what Jesus is saying, or this is what Paul is saying here, that you yourselves, all together, the fellowship of the church is God's temple. 
Now, I'll always advocate, by the way, and I'll, I'll tell you on camera, all of our online people, I would totally advocate being here in person at church. And, and the reason being is because I've had to watch church online, just like all oh, you through COVID. We pre-recorded, so I wasn't at church on Sunday mornings. We pre-recorded. And there, there's like a lot, it feels, I know the Spirit can still move through online, but you miss the fellowship of believers. The Bible says, let us not giving up let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is, this is Hebrews chapter 13. Let us not do that, but let us gather together. There's an important piece about gathering together and being together. Why? Because you collectively are the new temple of God. You collectively are that temple. That's why I always say come to church. It's important to be in fellowship in the church. It's important to be in community in the church. So what Paul is saying to this church is, church, I love you, but grow up. You've got God's Spirit available to you, and you're divided on celebrity preachers. You've got God's Spirit available to you, all life available to you, and you're worried about your own thoughts and opinions. You've got God's Spirit available to you, but you're worried about this, like, food, the sacrifice. Come on, church. You've got everything available to you. And he ends with saying, you have everything available to you. And we're going to look at those words more in future verses because Paul says them again. You've got everything available to you and you're messing around with the dumb stuff. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. We are half-hearted creatures. And this will be up on the screen. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. That's what we're like sometimes in our immaturity. I want to invite the band to come. This will be Paul's message all through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it'll be kind of peppered everywhere. And ultimately, he'll say it in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But I think it sheds a lot of light on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, parents, we've got to protect childhood for our kids. We can't let them grow up too fast. Childhood's so important. It's so key. Don't, don't mishear me on that. Like, we, we've got to absolutely protect childhood for our kids. And we've got to embrace childhood for them and let them have child wonders and all that sorts of things. But if they're 30 playing video games in your basement, it's time to throw those out and mow those down. This is what Paul's doing in this passage. It's time to get into the real work of unity and making disciples. It's time to take your immaturity, scatter it on the lawn and mow it down. It's time to take Peter Pan and say, that was wrong. It's time for us to say, I was wrong and move on. Maybe you're here and you're not really sure how to respond Maybe your response today is, Lord, take me deeper into maturity with you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe your response today is, Lord, expose my immaturity. Oh, that's a dangerous prayer because God will do it. But maybe that's your prayer here this morning. God, expose my immaturity. I want to just invite you, whether it's God, take me deeper into maturity with you or God, expose my immaturity, wherever that is, I want to invite you to pray one of those two things. And I believe God will do it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that people here 
We'll want a life that lasts, and we'll want to invest in things that last, and we'll want to invest in your kingdom and in your people and make it last. Lord, I pray that uh, on one hand you would expose our immaturity wherever that lies. But God, on the other hand, I pray that you would take us deeper into maturity with you. And that we would be like these houses that Paul talks about that are built up with gold and rubies and all sorts of other things that last through the fire. God, help in building your church. Lord, this is the place where your spirit dwells. So we ask your spirit to move in this time of worship. In the name of Jesus, all God's people say. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.